Well, ladies and gentlemen, here we go. This is a special edition, really a crossover edition of Inside EMS, Side Alpha Podcast, and Police Matters. And I got to tell you, I am very excited to be here. Kelly Grayson is on special assignment, but I've got some great guests for you. And this episode of the Inside EMS Podcast is sponsored by Verizon Frontline, the advanced network and technology for first responders on the front lines. Learn more at verizon.com slash front lines. I got to tell you, I am excited as we do this special 911 tribute show. And I am honored to be joined by Jim Dudley. Jim hosts the Policing Matters podcast over there on Police One. And Jim, I am excited to have you here with me on this special show. Hey, it's great to be here, Chris. Thanks for having me. And also joining us to represent the fireside is my good friend, Fire Chief of the Year. He's an author, he's a speaker, and he is a great representation of what a fire career could look like. My good friend, Chief Gary Ludwig. Chief, welcome to the Inside EMS podcast. Hey, Chris, I'm happy to be here. And brother, I'm always, always excited to be with you on your podcast. You know, everyone, so as we start this this crossover show from police and fire and EMS, I think we've got some great experience to talk about, you know, what this day meant to, for everyone. And But what about the future now as we're getting ready to retire, you know, I, I remembering this day from watching it, on, watching it on TV, now we have people that are entering our services from the EMS, police and fire side that weren't even born when 9-11 happened. So how are we going to commemorate that? But first, you know, Chief, I want to ask you, you know, from the fire side, maybe from, you know, 9-11, what did it mean for the fire service? What did it mean for first responders in general uh, as we've continued to go forward for over 20 years now? Well, I, what we think about when we think about 9-11 every year is one of the things we think about that's at the top of our list is the 343 firefighters that died. The 343 firefighters that made the ultimate sacrifice that day, they lived up to their oath to help others in their time of need. And uh, knowing many said, we heard later that many said, boys, we ain't coming back today. And, uh, you know, a lot of it was true. And so, uh, can you imagine the thought of knowing you're going to those buildings and the chances of coming back out are about zero, but they did it and they upheld the tradition of the fire service and, uh, and what we are about. And that is that we do for others. And uh, they took a calculated risk and they knew that risk was dangerous. And that's one of the things that really resonates with us in the fire services that sacrifice. And just that number of 343 is just an incredible number that is just hard to fathom. Jim, if we think about it from the police side, I mean, you, you retired from the police service after 32 years. How did 9-11 affect, uh, you think, the police force across the United States as we are moving forward from that 9-11 uh, disaster? Well, I think, I mean, first, I'd like to acknowledge what the chief just said about the, the sacrifice by the responding firefighters and the police officers who responded. And I think what we have to pass on the legacy is what we learned from the response. Of course, police and fire are always going to respond and EMS, of course, into a hazardous situation. I think what we learned post-incident was the long-term health hazards and threats to responders who, you know, even after responding into the rubble to do search and rescue or recovery, uh, the hazardous conditions that existed, we we weren't really that prepared. We didn't have the proper PPE. And so we saw, you know, years post-event 
firefighters and police officers and search and rescue people who suffered really, you know, catastrophic uh, physical uh, ailments and and as a direct result from from their response there. So I think that's got to be uh, a consideration at the next uh, event similar to this. I think police officers uh, had the duties of perimeter uh, traffic evacuation, shelter in place for people uh, on the outside perimeter. But I think uh, we have to talk more about uh, incident command, about shared command, and then bring people in from public health to make those calls when we we have to have somebody make a call on the long-term health effects and what we need to protect people with before we send them into these kinds of events. Yeah, and I think that that's really important. And, and hopefully, you know, we think about this over two decades later, we hope that the lessons were learned and we're not going to have the same challenges that we've had, you know, in the past when it came to 9-11. But one of the things that I think is is true when we think about all these, you know, mass shootings and we think about all these, you know, civil unrest, it seems that we're always just tripping over ourselves because it's just not in the forefront of our everyday operations from a police side, from a fire side, you know, from an EMS side. But hopefully we, we get into the groove and we're like, all right, we're seeing the same patterns and let's go ahead and, and you know, do the things that we talked about doing all these years later. But I think it's just natural that we may have some challenges as we're gearing up for the things that are happening today. Chief, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think cumulatively we can learn from all these experiences and you know it's always a progression chris we're always learning and adapting and overcoming our situations and there's always gonna be new challenges and you know just when we think we got to figure it out next thing you know something else happens that really challenges us and so it's the cumulative effect of learning and growing and as we say there is no constant but change and uh, and as things change, we have to adapt. And uh, we learned our lessons from 9-11, the active shooters, and all the other things that we've been doing with, with not only international terrorism, but domestic terrorism. And uh, we adapt. And the goal, again, is, is to help the most people possible while keeping ourselves safe. Yeah, I agree, Chief. And I, I also think that, you know, we, we tend to train in our own silos, right? Police, police stuff, fire, fire stuff, EMS, their own. Uh, but we forget about, you know, the the overlap. And when we go into these situations, we all have our own priorities, right? Uh, police are looking for uh, physical threats, people threats, uh, and fires looking to put out and mitigate uh, the immediate hazard, the fire or the explosion or the hazmat. And uh, post-incident investigation is really important if we're going to catch the people responsible for man-made disasters. And I think we need to do more training where we bring everyone together, um, maybe an EOC situation, an emergency operations center sponsored training, where we all take into consideration each other's priorities and, and what we need to do to preserve evidence in cases like this. Yeah, Jim, and I, I can't agree with you anymore. And it, it really does me good to see now that police and fire fire is training with our brothers and sisters in blue especially on the rescue team concept on active shooter where we learned our lessons from columbine where uh, you know some of those people laid inside that building for hours and i know there was a teacher 
who actually literally extenuated, you know, blood out, blood to death, waiting to be rescued. And so we've learned our lessons. And now police and fire work together on the rescue team concept to go in on active shooters and get the victims out. We actually literally have practice that here. And where I'm at is the fire chief in Champaign, Illinois, about a month ago with our local uh, police department here and our sheriff's department at some school. And, and we did that quite often when I was in Memphis with the Memphis fire department, worked with our brothers and sisters in blue on active shooter. And, and we learned our lessons on communications from 9-11. Uh, police and fire were on different radio systems in our radio frequencies, talk groups, whatever term you want to use in New York City, and had no ability to communicate each other, with each other. And, and I'm glad they moved forward and they fixed that. And part of that is part of the first net system now where we can cross talk across different networks. Yeah, and those mutual operating platforms where we can have uh, everyone talking through uh, one center, that's that's the best. Yeah, and I think that that's really one of the best things that came out of that. But, you know, Jim, I, I want to go ahead and give you this scenario because I, I want to talk about really, I think, the importance of what the future looks like for the 9-11 uh, remembrance, 9-11 tribute, you know, and I grew up in New York City. I could not leave my house in the morning without seeing the World Trade Center every single day of my young life. Uh, I spent time in the World Trade Center. What a lot of people don't know is there was tons of shopping underneath the World Trade Center. You can connect to all the trains, you know, a majority of trains in the subway system. You know, my friend asked his wife to marry him, uh, Windows on the World, and, you know, in the restaurant at the top. So this was a big part of my life. And every year uh, on the anniversary, I sit in front of the TV and I watch everything that I could watch and sit there somber remembering the day that that part of my childhood the the day that uh, america was attacked the day that uh changed our our society and history and we've done an incredible job with remembering and paying tribute every year but as i as you heard me talk about in the introduction and chief i want to want to get your opinion about this as well how do we now teach the new generation who maybe wasn't alive when 911 happened that the magnitude of what we have to do is continually remember the processes of what we had to learn and what we had to go through to kind of you know have this memoriam for eternity well chris i think i think you've got something there and i you you describe the feelings and the emotions of the day from being there. We felt it just as strong in San Francisco, in California, on the other West Coast. And but I think we're, we've we've lost sight of that over the years. You know, we train and we talk about reality and we go through these, you know, these moves and 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 planning situations. But I mean, we've seen recently, unfortunately, in Texas, sometimes the best training can cannot go as planned. So maybe we have people in command who, uh, you know, uh, paralyzation by analyzation. And and that's something that's really fresh, right? So we hope that our leaders react. But here we are, you know, 20 plus years away from 9-11. It is something that we need to revisit every year and we need to test on it. We need to test our leadership too, to make sure that they're going to respond because the farther we get away the less uh, imperative it is to be able to react, to instantly react, to think about the considerations of perimeters and evacuations and 
hazmat situations. And, you know, we don't want our new leaders to think this up on the fly. I mean, we've got that really valuable past information that we should have learned from. And I think we're losing it every year. I mean, we immediately after 9-11, there was so much support in training and giving more tools to law enforcement and firefighters. And we've lost it. We've lost that impetus and the initiative from legislators. And we've actually lost abilities to do investigations, to use things like AI and facial recognition that would be so much uh, of use to us in a situation like this today. And we need a champion in D.C. to take up the initiative again and revisit uh, 9-11 and what we would need to prevent something like that from happening again. Chief, what do you think? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I was sitting there listening to Jim, and, I, and I'm just harking back to, uh, so I'm, I'm going to give my age away, Chris, uh, if you don't mind. I'm, I'm, uh, I was born in 1958 in South St. Louis, and um, if you think about it, about a little over 10 years before that was the end of World War II at, you know, 1945. So, but me being born in 1958, some 13 years later, World War II seems as ancient to me as the Civil War or the, the American Revolution. It just was something that didn't occur during my lifetime. So I, I kind of put myself in the shoes of this younger generation coming up now that are entering our profession, police, fire, and EMS. And and they weren't maybe born either when 9-11 happened. And they probably have the same concept as I did about World War II that this was something that was ancient and happened a long time ago. But I'm going to tell you what I do. I, I truly honor the sacrifice of the greatest generation that went to World War II and went to war and fought for our freedoms. And you think about those boys that landed on the beaches of Normandy and Tarawa and Emo Jimo and the fights that they had and the horrific numbers of dead and wounded that came out of there. And I honor that sacrifice, including my father's sacrifice, who fought in the South Pacific. And I have not forgotten that. And that's what we need to teach this younger generation is that we need to continue to honor the sacrifice of the 3,000 people or so that got killed that day. All our U.S. military that have gone to battle on foreign lands, the fight to terrorists in their own backyard. And then the I looked at these numbers, Chris, there's about 4,700 people that have died from cancers and other diseases that worked on the pile and have since died. Their, their sacrifice should never be in vain. Just like our veterans of World War II, their battle should never be in vain. And that is how what we need to do is just continually, continually um, never forget. And and I, I, I'm a little bit worried because I see communities right after 9-11, there was all these ceremonies every year at the 10-year anniversary, the five-year anniversary, and now we're starting to drop off. I'm proud to say here in Champaign, we still hold a, a ceremony every year on 9-11 and we'll continue to do so. But that's the only way we're going to continue to remember those sacrifices and the lessons learned on those particular events. Right. And I couldn't agree with you more, Chief, but let's go ahead and take a quick break. And then when I come back, I want to ask you, Jim, when we think about the new generation, what is our responsibility of ensuring that the tribute to 9-11 continues? But let's go ahead and take a quick break. We'll, we'll ask that question when we come back. As we reflect on the events of September 11th, we honor and remember those who answered the call that day to the firefighters, police officers, paramedics, and dispatchers who took a solemn vow 
and all of those on the front lines who carried out their mission when America needed them most. We salute you and remain committed to you. Thank you from the people who work at Verizon Frontline. We vow never to forget as you perform your missions every day, inspiring our nation and those you serve. You know, Jim, so before we went to the break, we, we kind of talked about it. I mean, we're, we're you know, we're, we were kind of joking before we uh, started to record, uh, you know, Jim, you're retired from 32 years. You know, Chief, you got a couple years left uh, before you uh, finally retire with your third, with your third. I mean, you've probably been working since you were five years old. Um, but now when we start to think about it, we were there, we saw it, we felt it. And as we now kind of move forward, you know, it was funny. I was in the uh, airport last week. I was traveling and there was a 15 or 16 year old kid who was uh, looking at his mom saying, well, why do we have to take our shoes off? And why do we have to, you know, it's just stupid that we've got to, and he just didn't understand how we got there. Right. Meanwhile, I know that it's a pain in the butt. I know that I don't want to take my computer out. I know that I don't want to take my shoes off, but I know why we're doing it. So what is our responsibility, Jim? Now, as we start to move forward to teach the young generation the important, I mean, you think about, and I'm getting on a soapbox here. I hope you don't mind, but you know, we think about uh, uh, Pearl Harbor day. It's just a day now, right? After all these years, 1941, after all these years, what are we really feeling about not, uh, you know, Pearl Harbor day? Is this what nine 11 is going to turn out to be in another 20 years? No, I think you're, you're right. I mean, in our generation, when we started, I mean, Chief Ludwig, uh, 1958, you're a youngster. I was born in 57. And uh, we we did learn. We did uh, carry on uh, legacies from World War II veterans and Vietnam veterans when, when I was new in the police department. And we need to do that now for our new people. We need to acknowledge terrorism in training at police academies, fire academies, we need to do it in continuing professional education where every two years officers get refresher training and terrorism certainly should be a component. And as you said, Chief Ludwig, both domestic and foreign created terrorism. And and we need to hearken back to what happened on 9-11 and, and what our approaches were, what our uh, failed um, strategies were, uh, what the long-term effects were from not wearing the proper PPE, not taking the the uh, advanced perimeter uh, spots that we should have taken, uh, all these other considerations, uh, or else we're doomed to fail and we're doomed to repeat history. And and that's, that's the old adage, right? Those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And uh, it's up to us at in law enforcement and fire and EMS to talk about it, to create uh, the overlays of training and discuss our roles and how we can depend on each other and how we need to support each other. I got to tell you, uh, one of the things that worries me is that as we get further away is the federal funding that we needed in police, fire, and EMS to get ourselves ready for that next event is starting to dry up. Um, there was plenty of funding that came down in AFG, uh, the assistance to firefighter grants, the safer grants, the staffing, and in the UASI grants. Uh, Jim, you might be able to speak to the, the Burns Memorial uh, grants that came out. And um, 
and that money seems to be as we get further away from the federal government, they're non-prioritizing our readiness. And uh, although they're going to expect us to respond, um, we still need to continue to train. We continue to need to update our equipment and just prepare for the next event because we know it's not a question of if, it's a question of when it's going to happen again. Yeah, absolutely. And you talk about the the Jag Burns uh, grants. Uwazi, I met my wife while we were uh, divvying up Uwazi funds between public health and fire and police. And you're right, that's dried up. Even worse, uh, there's an assault on, you know, with the defund movement and, you know, the harsh criticism on law enforcement. Uh, we lost a, a good chunk of 1033 uh, government surplus, military surplus supplies because of the connotation of militarization of police and some really important things like PPE, like uh, armored vehicles that could get us in and out of hazardous situation. Um, some of the training where with fire, fire would uh, hold the deco decontamination uh, point. So we lost all that. Uh, even worse, um, in the UASI, we had programs like Urban Shield, where we had sheriff's departments uh, create scenarios for SWAT teams, a 72-hour running exercise. Uh, here in California, we had Urban Shield 32 uh, SWAT teams internationally, FBI sent a team, Israel, uh, the Saudis sent a team, and then local CHP and San Francisco PD and others. And they run through these designed um, incidents to see what their response was. And they were graded on their response, their success, and their time. And we don't do that anymore. We lost it because of protests about this kind of training. But then we get criticized for things like Uvalde and the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando and uh, the Las Vegas shooting, all the, the mass shootings where this kind of training would be so valuable. And, uh, you know, we've got to move away from this emotional based uh, funding and have some, some people up there in DC again, think about with a cool head, uh, using evidence-based uh, analysis to come up with funding. Where do we need it? Go back to go back to the rollout of UASI and and send out some exercises to large cities and supporting cities. Uh, give them these exercises and then ask police, fire, and public health to respond. Uh, see what their initial response, their preparation plan, their initial response, their mitigation, and then their recovery. Uh, did they have enough planning? Did they have enough uh, playbooks uh, prepared? Do they have enough um, equipment and response? Uh, all those things should be tested. We haven't done it in a long, long time. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I want to think about as well is I, I think we're bringing up a lot of great points and certainly, you know, remembering uh, the importance of 9-11 in years and years to come. You know, we were kind of talking before we started to record, Chief, about um, you know, really the, the, the trauma of the day goes beyond just watching those planes, you know, hit the world trade center. I mean, 2,500 contaminants, 
you know, glass and lead and mercury and 24,000 gallons of jet fuel, 100,000 tons of organic debris, 230,000 gallons of transformer and heating diesel and so on and so forth. I mean, we are still seeing people today that are dying from the effects that happen 20 some odd years ago. And we have families out there that we're taking care of as well. I mean, we think about the, you know, all the firefighters, as you mentioned, that lost their lives and the police officers that lost their lives and the EMS professionals that lost their lives that were still hanging on and, and still caring for their uh, families. But we still think about the mental health challenges. We still think about the respiratory illnesses. We still think about the heart disease. We still see cancer. I mean, what is our responsibility now for the people that are coming in behind us to remember that our charge is to take care of the people who took care of us? Yeah, I you are so correct. And those numbers that you just recited are just staggering. It just they're beyond comprehension. And, and as you're going through those numbers, Chris, I'm thinking, man, it, you know, if we had that funding that we talked about, um, even within federal agencies where they're talking to each other and where they have proper funding to be able to uh, to be able to get to the bad guys and prevent something like this from happening, imagine what that upfront cost would have saved us downstream, not only in money, but in lives. And that's the lesson for our future generations, is that you may spend a little money on the front side, but the downside windfall is enormous. Not only, again, in lives and money, but also the mental health and all the issues that come with that. And, and that's things that we can't buy. You can't buy somebody's life back. And as I like to say, you know, once you have no life, there's there's nothing. There's there's nothing possible, obviously, as we know, without life. So we, we shouldn't be so cavalier about someone's life and that it has so much tremendous meaning. And uh, and that's that's how I see it. We just got to drive that home to this younger generation that what you spend up front, even the decision makers, the policymakers in Washington, D.C., what we spend up front, the downstream effects are tremendous savings. Yeah, I agree. Jim, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think we need to, you know, I, I keep hitting on the training. We need to train together. We need to be aware of the threats. And, uh, you know, right now in law enforcement, anyway, we're we're down um, a number of officers. The, the attrition rates over the last couple of years, um, you know, hit hard and recruiting is hard. So we have less people to respond to incidents than we did during 9-11. And Actually, the threats have increased, uh, not only the physical attacks, which are, of course, uh, you know, tragedies and and they harm the ripple effects outside of the actual victims. But but then you go out out concentrically to the families of the victims and, and the caregivers and the health givers, you know, like you talked about years after the event. Those are all tragic and impactful we've got other threats now that are that are more prevalent of cybersecurity threats uh, we've got the active shooter uh threat active shooter teams that we've seen in other countries that's certainly a threat uh, and then a biohazard is always uh, looming as well so uh again as we move away i think we lose that the traction that we had initially after 9-11 and again, we we need to bring it back uh, to to the forefront and get better prepared, or we're going to suffer another attack, and then there'll be 
you know, a call to arms. Why didn't police do this? Why didn't fire do that? Where was the EMS response? And and let's let's use prevention and not response uh, to this 9-11 um, issue. Yeah. You know, I think we've hit on a lot of great points here, right? And, you know, one of the things in my lifetime, I can never forget this as being one of the most horrible days that I had to experience as a man, as a EMS professional, um, as a, as a uh, resident of New York City. Uh, and I think a lot of the people that went through it, you know, we really came together for those, uh, you know, few months after that. And we were really a, a great unified nation. But one of the things that I would like you to do, I mean, Jim, you know, certainly your audience and, you know, chief, if you can kind of represent the fire and talk to the fire people that are out there, give them your closing thoughts. And I'll do the same on how we need to, in our specific uh, areas of professionalism, how do we keep this uh, memory of 9-11 going throughout the years so it just doesn't become a day? So I'm just going to say this. We use the word never forget. That can't be just words. There has to be emphasis and meaning and purpose behind that. And that, you know, I, one little service, I shouldn't say little service, but one service every year for 15 or 20 minutes, we need to have more. You know, when I watch the History Channel or watch these other channels, I constantly see stories about World War II. They're constantly different versions of World War II. Now, again, there's a lot more subject matter there, but there's a lot of subject matter. I don't want to just watch films on 9-11 and relive it. From time to time, our media needs to constantly remind us of the threat. There are others out there, not only internationally, but domestically, that want to hurt us, that want to hurt us bad. And that's what we have to try to remember because we should, as I say, that never forget should not be a cavalier statement. It should not, it should have meaning purpose and, and be with emphasis. Absolutely wholehearted agree with you, chief. And I think, you know, every, every chief, every agency had uh, chief sheriff, uh, police, fire, EMS. Uh, they've got to take that lead up the week before 9-11 at, at the least and recall why it is we're having these, you know, moments of silence. Why it is we see on social media the flags flying in the twin towers and never forget. And like you said, I've got students in my classes at San Francisco State who have no idea of 9/11 and what it meant and and what the the real um, totality of it was. And we need to bring that back into the forefront of people's memories and truly never forget. And to educate our new police and firefighters, this really happened. It could happen again. Let's be diligent. Let's look for signs. Let's let's talk with each other. I mean, that's the only way we're going to prevent another catastrophe. And from the EMS side, I mean, I, I got to echo what my peers are saying here. And you know, this was something that was tragic. This was something that it really hit close to home because this just wasn't an attack on America. This just wasn't an attack on New York City. This was an attack on our, our first responder brethren, our first responder brethren who, who Chief Ludwig said very, very well, knew that they may die. And they went into the building anyway to try to save as many people as they could. And as first responders, we've got to honor that. And we've got to continually honor that because how many times have you heard 
that we run into danger when other people are running away. Is it trivial? Maybe, but it's true. And on this specific day, our brethren, EMS brethren, police brethren, fire brethren ran into the building knowing that they may not come out and they did it anyway, right? It would have been very easy for them to say, I don't think so, but that's not who we are. And we've got to be able to honor their memory. And we've got to be able to keep this uh, as a tribute, as a memorial for as long as we can, because this attack was a really unification of the importance of EMS of fire and police. And we, we always talk about the competition between the two. I mean, Jim said it about the siloing. Well, we've got to remember that we may work in silos when we need to, but when it's time to come together, there is nobody stronger than police and fire and the EMS relationship that takes care of the people who look at us when they want to be taken care of. And I got to tell you, this has been a great show, Jim. I, I want to thank you for allowing me to join you on your show. You, you joining me on my show, chief uh, Gary Ludwig. It's always great to talk to you and, and get your uh, opinions about things and never a stranger to the inside EMS podcast, but for everyone at Lexapol, I, I want to thank you for joining us for this special crossover show of policing matters of side alpha podcast and the inside EMS podcast for Chief Gary Ludwig, for Jim Dudley, and for Kelly Grayson, who's on special assignment. I want to thank everybody for joining us, and we'll talk to everyone again real soon.